Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Good morning. You guys doing well? Enjoying the sunshine? Yeah. Sun always shines in Bedford. That's what I tell people in Newcastle when they ask me, <laughs> which is where I used to live. So sun always shines here. Welcome. Great to be together. Uh, Carol and I are going on holiday on Tuesday. We are. Yeah, she is very excited, and so am I. Um, so we are celebrating early our 20th wedding anniversary this year. So we're excited about that. So we are. We're going to the Canary Islands on Tuesday. Pray for us. It's going to be tough. Um, we'll remember you at least maybe once while we're there. Um, so pray for us. You know, and I was just I was thinking as I was preparing this message where we're focusing in on this issue of missions and God's heart for the nations, just how much kind of nations and missions were kind of involved in our kind of meeting and around the time we first started to connect and kind of, uh, uh, kind of pursue a courtship together. Uh, when I first met Carol in, in Sidcup, you know, the metropolis that is Sidcup, southeast London, uh, she uh, had uh, just a year ago, she'd come back from Romania where she'd been serving in an orphanage for a month, got her life just kind of radically rocked and changed in that month as she literally served some of the poorest of the poor. And uh, it was an amazing kind of moment in her life. I then met her when I came back to Sidcup. I'd been away for a year after, after uh, school, uh, serving in America. And one of the things I was doing there week to week was uh, teaching the Bible to Chinese people. <laughs> uh, week to week, I was kind of in and out of homes, teaching them English through the Bible. And so I kind of landed back in Sidcup. Carol had been in Romania. And then in that kind of period where we were getting to know each other, we went on an evangelism team in Brighton. Now, I have to confess, not much evangelism was done in Brighton that particular week because we walked up and down the beach. We were kind of getting to know each other. We were kind of sussing each other out. You know, you can picture the scene. And, uh, you know, and the more I talked to her, I thought, oh, I really like this girl. I mean, she is, she is like the real deal. And... Um, you know, I, I, this, is some, this, is, this is a kind of chat-up line that you can use if you want. If you're a young man here and you're wanting to ask a, a girl out, um, this is what I said to Carol. That moment I plucked up the courage to ask her out. I said, would you like to come church planting with me one day? <laughs> that is literally what I said. I'm so embarrassed by those words that came out of my mouth. Fortunately, she understood what I was asking her. She said yes, and the rest is history. We, we went out, we're still yet to plant a church, but maybe one day we'll do that somewhere. But, you know, kind of missions and the nations, it was kind of a big part of our kind of meeting and has been really kind of the rest of our life. And I think the reality is if you open the pages of the Bible, you cannot escape the fact that God loves every people group. He loves every nation. Uh, I mean, contrary to public opinion, God is not a middle-class white Englishman. He, he is the God of the nations, the nations are his. He made everyone in his own image. And you can't open the Bible without being struck with that, that he loves every single people group. And in, in some of Jesus' final words to his disciples after his ministry, he, he really spells this out, that, that our great commission is to have a global mindset. And, you know, last words are really important. You can tell a lot by kind of last words. You know, when we go on Tuesday, we're going to have some last words with our kids. You know, it'll be please feed the dog. I mean, just please remember to feed the dog. Please lock the back doors at night. Don't just exist on pizza. You can eat other things as well. Last words. And, and Jesus had some last words for his disciples. And you can find them in Matthew 28. We know it as the Great Commission. 
And this is what Jesus says there. Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is what we know is the Great Commission. And a great tip for it in your Bible reading, when you find a therefore in your Bible, you need to ask what it's there for. All right? Just a little tip. So notice the, notice the therefore here, okay? Jesus says, I have all authority now. I've been through the grave. I've taken care of the sins of the world. I've been resurrected to glorious new life. All authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. Therefore, go. Go. Make disciples of all nations. And whether you realized it or not, when you signed up to follow Jesus, part of the contract was you signed up to love the nations. You signed up to be someone who makes disciples in the nations of the world. David Stitton says this. He says, Nowhere in Scripture is a mysterious call a prerequisite before we respond to the Great Commission. Service is mandatory. The location varies. The call to missions has more to do with the condition of our heart than the location of our feet. Do you know what that means? Every single one of you is a missionary. Every single one of you, the moment that you step foot out of your door here in Bedford, you are a missionary. I mean, do you realize there are 14,000 Italian people living in Bedford? You, you don't have to go to Rome. You just step out your front door and you can reach Italy. I mean, it's amazing. You are a missionary. Wherever God's placed you, the location will vary, but the Great Commission is for all of us. It's for every single one of us. And the reason it's called a co-mission is that this really is God's mission that you are co-opted into. In other words, Jesus here is describing what God the Father is about. He is on a mission, and his mission is to fill the planet with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea, and you are co-missioned into what he is doing. You are partners in the Father's business. This is the Great Commission. We're all called to impact the nations. The, the question is not, should I love the nations? It's, how are you going to love the nations? Love the nations on your doorstep, in your workplace. Some of you, it will be going to another nation. What does it look like for you? And uh, we're just going to watch a real quick uh, video of a lady called Paula O'Sullivan, who we've sent to another nation, and she's just going to tell us a little bit about her story. Uh. <laughs> So good. Um, at the end, we're going to get you to fill in these cards. And some of you um, may just want to get some more regular information about people like Paula who are on the mission field so that you can pray for them. Again, you can sign up for those at the end so that we can remember these guys in prayer. But just off the back, of, I want to look at three things that help us connect to this great commission to serve the nations. So, And the first is this, is that we need to see the model. We need to see the model because... Ultimately, when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, he is asking us to do something that he himself has already done. <laughs> he is sending us because he himself was sent. And he ultimately is the model. And uh, this lady is going to come up on the screen in just a moment. This is a lady called Tracy Evans. And uh, she has been working in many, many different nations over the last 
20 years. Encourage you to get a hold of her story. There's a whole book about her journey, which is well worth reading. And over the last 20 years, she's been involved in 65 different nations across the world. And most of them are nations that are either war-torn or being run by kind of dictatorships. They're difficult nations to be in. And uh, she would describe her daily life as being one that, you know, she's used to kind of bullets, snakes, and riots. She says, that's my story. The last 20 years is kind of living in that kind of environment. And in the last 12 years, she's been in the nation of Mozambique, which a number of years ago was ranked the poorest nation in the whole world, Mozambique. And so she thought, I need to go there. That's where I need to be. And so she's been there over the last few years with her team, planted 22 churches over the last 12 years in Mozambique. They're now serving 7,000 orphans, many of whom have got AIDS and HIV every single day, housing them, placing them in families. I was listening to her share this story of how they go into two prisons in the area of Mozambique they're in. And she says, we go into these prisons six to seven days a week for two hours each day. And she says, we go in and we tell the inmates about Jesus. And she says, every single man who hears the good news about Jesus wants to follow Jesus. She said, because for many of them, here's the only good news they've ever heard about. Mozambique went through a terrible, terrible civil war for many years. Many of these men are in there having walked through atrocities. And she says, as soon as someone gives their life to Christ, they go into a three-month discipleship program, at the end of which we baptize them. And she said, every three months, we're baptizing 100 new inmates as we go into these prisons, six to seven days a week. I mean, she's literally seeing her part of the world changed. And when someone asked her, why are you a missionary? This is what she said. She said, I am a missionary because Jesus was a missionary. He left the beauty and the glory of heaven to rescue us, to breathe life and hope back into broken humanity. It cost him dearly to do that, but he did it to establish God's kingdom here on earth. And though he came as a baby, he did not come empty-handed because all the resources of heaven were hidden in him. And he now calls us to do likewise. He says, as I am, I am in the world, so are you. I'm a missionary because Jesus is a missionary. Jesus is the ultimate model. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come for us. He's come for us. You're only here because he was the original missionary sent from heaven to earth for you. It's the ultimate cross-cultural mission. Jesus traded the throne for a manger, crown of glory for a crown of thorns. The riches, the beauty of heaven for the suffering of this planet. He is the apostle, the missionary. He's the model of missions. 1 John 4.14 says this, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. I love that. He has been sent as our Savior. But also later on in John's gospel, Jesus says this, John 17, As Father, you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In other words, here's the model, here's the prototype. You want to be like Jesus, then you are a sent one. Wherever you are, you are sent to your workplace, you're sent to your family, you're sent to different people groups, you're some, some of you sent to different nations, but Jesus is the ultimate model. You want to be like him? Fulfill the Great Commission, because he did it first. Here's the model. It's the first thing to see. The location will vary, but it's for everybody. Second key thing in connecting to this Great Commission is to 
see something of the, the global need. And I don't know about you, but it's very, very easy to get stuck and closeted in our own little worldview in beautiful England. I love this nation. I'm so grateful for this nation. I feel called to this nation. I'm going to pray for this nation. I'm going to work in this nation. I'm going to do all I can to make this nation great. But, you know, it's so easy to get caught in our little bubble and forget the rest of the planet. And sometimes the Great Commission starts with our heart connecting to the need, the global need that's out there and saying, is there something that I could do to be part of the answer to the needs in the nations? Got to connect to the need. And when Jesus here says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, that Greek word there for nations is tar ethne, which literally means every tribe, every people group. So there are 196 nations in the world, but there are a heck of a lot of people groups. Jesus is saying, don't just go into every nation, connect and reach every people group. So India alone has 2,000 different people groups. <laughs> And that's what Jesus is saying. Go into India and make disciples in every single one of those 2,000 people groups with the 450 different languages that they speak. That's the commission right there. Go into all the world and make disciples. Now, the world's a big place, isn't it? (laughs) If you've ever noticed that, it's a big place. Got to connect to what's out there. Part of our calling is to be involved right across the world. You know, I was just thinking at the moment, I'm doing, Simon and I are doing this uh, online leadership coaching huddle with different leaders. And in that huddle, we've got leaders from New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, Scotland, and Ashford. <laughs> and it's literally, it's like it's kind of multi-nations in one kind of online space, and we're connecting to one another. And that's part of what we're called to do. We're called to go and establish brilliant churches and brilliant kingdom-shaping people all over the world. Then I recently had this uh, coffee with uh, one of our friends, Joyce Summers, who's on the mission fields in a nation where there are no known believers. And we sat down recently, Karen and I, with her and had a coffee and we were just chatting, seeing how she's getting on. And she, it was one of those prophetic moments because she looked at us over the table and she's like, do you know, it's, it's so amazing that you're serving churches in other nations. Keep doing that. But then she paused and she said, but please don't forget unreached people. Don't forget unreached people. Please pray for unreached people groups. Please talk about unreached people groups in the church. Please remember them. Keep doing what you're doing in places like Australia and France. Keep doing that, but please remember people who've never heard of the gospel. They've never heard the name Jesus. That provokes me. And and since then, I've started to pray for unreached peoples more than I ever have done before. Because it felt like a a prophetic provocation. And it's interesting, when you look at the stats, there's 16,835 people groups in the world. Of those, 6,945 are unreached. That is 41% of our planet unreached. That's over 3 billion people. I mean, the world is a big place. Enjoy saying, don't forget the unreached. I just want to give that to us as a church family and say, let's not forget the unreached in our prayers, in our giving, in our thoughts. Let's pray for them. Let's engage with what God's doing in unreached people groups. The interesting thing about unreached people groups is that 95% of them are in what is known as the 1040 window, which is this little bit on the map right here. 
10.40 window, 95% of the unreached people groups are in that window, and yet less than 10% of missions work is done in that window. In other words, that should be a provocation to us to pray. Provocation for us to think, how can we impact that window in our lifetime so that the gospel starts ringing out from the east to the west and the north to the south? How can we do that? Interesting, in that 1040 window, some of the poorest people on the whole planet live. Eight out of ten of the poorest people groups live in the 1040 window. People who live in literally less than a few hundred dollars a year live in there. If you've got a heart for the poor, pray. Think, what can I do to connect to the poorest of the poor on this planet? The top 50 least evangelized mega cities of over a million people are in the 1040 window. And it's one of the toughest places in the world to be a Christian. And yet it's also the part of the world where God is doing incredible things right now. And you will not read about it on the BBC News website. But I tell you, God is doing incredible things. I encourage you to get um, a couple of books. One is called Miraculous Movements. And another is called A Wind in the House of Islam. If you get those books, you'll get a picture of what God is doing in the 1040 window right now. Do you know that more Muslims have come to faith since 9-11 than the previous 14 centuries put together? It's estimated now that over a million Muslims are giving their lives to Christ in that part of the world every single year. Tell you what, he's doing incredible things in the most toughest places in the world. And somehow here in Bedford, in leafy Bedford, we are called to play our part in seeing the gospel reach that. And whether that's you impact it by staying and praying and giving money, or some of you may be called to go. We've got to see the need and think, how can I respond? And then thirdly, we need to see the call. So we've seen Jesus is the model. We've seen the need to go. But what about the call? How do we respond to the model and to the need. Well, John Piper suggests that we have three options. And I love this because I'm a bear of little brain. Simplicity helps me. This is what he says. He says, you have three possibilities in relation to missions. You can be a goer, you can be a sender, or you can be disobedient. <laughs> that helped me. I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's nice. There is no other option than those three. This means that there can be no coasters. There are no people who can say, ah, missions isn't my thing. I don't really think in terms of going or sending. That's not my calling. No, Matthew 28 addresses the whole church. All authority is mine. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Every Christian should feel that they have to be engaged in that. I love that. Go, send, or disobey. You've got three choices. You're powerful people this morning. You've got a powerful choice to make. And there they are before us. And so I just want to look a little bit at what it means to go and what it means to be a sender. So firstly, going. So I want to suggest that all of us at some point in our life should have a commitment to go and connect to people who don't look and sound like you do. All of us should have that, and you can have that either by you know, engaging in short-term missions or long-term missions. Short-term missions are really, for many of us, we won't kind of sell our possessions and move house and move family and live in another nation for a long time. Some of us are called to do that, but for many of us, we're called to build family here, to impact this nation. But also, some have some window in our life where we are connecting in mission to people who are different than us. 
I remember the very first missions trip I did. I was about 16 years old. Here is a picture of me in the days where my hair was slightly curlier and I had more of it. And uh, when I was 16, I went on a cross-cultural missions trip for one week to Newcastle-upon-Tyne. I was living in Brighton at the time, and I tell you what, you go to Newcastle, it, it, you're talking to people who are different than you are, if you come from the South, like I did. And, uh, you know, it was a, an amazing experience for me as a young man, going to somewhere to connect to people, to love them who were different than I was. And I, I remembered how different they were when I was just thinking, when we, when we arrived with the team, we brought with us a worship team from Brighton, and they had loads of kind of gear in the back of their van, like amps and guitars and kind of cool-looking equipment. And I remember we, we turned up to the church building, which was in a place called Biker in Newcastle, and it was inside a big wall. And literally, when I walked through the wall, I thought, I have arrived in Beirut. I mean, this is like... I mean, this, what is going on? There were burnt out cars and tires and graffiti, and it was just so different to the world that I was living in. So, wow, what is this place? And as the band started to unload their stuff from the van and put it in the church building, the locals started to gather and kind of peer in and kind of look at the stuff that was being shifted through. And pretty soon, there was a whole crowd of kind of kids and teenagers and ne'er-do-wells <laughs> kind of looking in like, oh, that's interesting. And it was my job and one other guys on the team to stay in the church building and look after the stuff while everyone else went off somewhere else. And so I'm in this building. It's locked. I'm inside holding a big stick because outside there are about, there's a crowd of about 30 teenagers trying to break into the building where I am. And they are holding metal bars. They're trying to kick the door down. They are throwing knives at the door. I mean, I, I kid you not. And we are looking through the keyhole at all that's happening on the outside. I'm thinking, they're going to set this door on fire in a minute. I don't know what is going to happen. And it was, it was one of the best, worst days of my whole life. I mean, I look back and I think, thank you, Jesus, that I went through that experience. You know, I was terrified, but I was like, Jesus, please help us. Please come. Something gets in your spirit when you decide, I'm going to live my life out of my comfort zone and connect to people who are different than I am. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you deliberately created space in, in your life or your family's life to say, I'm actually going to go on missions short term. I'm going to get involved in a team. I'm going to sign up to go somewhere. I'm going to visit a nation. When was the last time you did that? You know, we've tried to do that with our kids kind of growing up. So the uh, last couple of years, we've taken them to, to Zimbabwe. They're both this year going to Zambia on the youth missions trip. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to that. And do you know what? When you, as a family, invest in taking your kids into a, a missional environment, it puts something in their heart. Remember the first time that I visited with my daughter a high-density area just outside of Harare, and in this particular part of Harare, there are 30,000 people living in close proximity to one another, basically in tin shacks. And most of those people literally were picked up by Mugabe and dumped in the town refuse area. Their homes were bulldozed, and they literally were told to set up again. And they're living in absolute poverty. Half the children who live in that high-density area carry HIV or AIDS got incredibly low life expectancy, and yet they're some of the most joyful people I've ever met on the planet. I remember seeing the local school there in that high-density area. It was literally made with tree trunks and cardboard boxes sellotaped on, and it was not much bigger than the stage that I'm standing on right now. And there were 20 kids in there learning how to read 
learning how to write, half of them with HIV, not knowing how long their lives would last. I tell you, that does something. That puts something in here. Remember the second year we went, we were walking around this same area, just praying and blessing people for an hour. Every single person we prayed for within the hour got healed instantly. Two of the people that we came across had had dreams the night before that we were going to show up at their door the next day. I remember one gentleman, as we were approaching his little tin shack, he said, I saw you in my dream last night. God said, you have something good for me. I mean, what incredible open, open door for the gospel. I tell you what, that does something in here when you create space in your life to go on some kind of short-term missions team. I was in a part of Russia last year and staying with someone who was a leader right throughout the communist years in Russia. And he showed me downstairs in his basement where he had this very large, it looked like a bath, it was like a large bath. And he said, when I wasn't allowed to baptize people up there, I baptized thousands of people down here in that bathtub. He literally just got back from Siberia, where it was minus 25 degrees. It's a seven-day train journey from where he was to Siberia, and he's going there to help start a church. I tell you what, that does something in here. That is humbling. You get outside of your bubble and connect to what God's doing. So get on a short-term team, but for some of you, it might be a longer-term call. There will be numbers of you in this room that you are only in the UK for a short period of time. Actually, your real calling is to go, like Paula, like others who've gone, and to live there, to impact a nation that's not your own. I wonder who those people are in this room. Later in December, I think it's the 5th of December, we're doing an evening called Call to Go, which basically is if you feel like you've got a heart for long-term missions, and maybe you're exploring, am I called to go? If I am, what does it look like? How should I go? How do I process that? We're going to do an evening with some experienced people who've gone before to help you work that out. But some of you are called to go long term. We uh, asked a question of a couple that went from this church numbers of years ago. They went to China from this nation. And we asked them this question this last week. Why did you go to China? And this is their answer to us. We went to China because the Bible tells us to. <laughs> I don't think we need a special calling to go to another nation. We all have a command from Jesus to go right there in Matthew 28. We were wanting to do something different with our lives, something that would leave an impact for all eternity, so we went. That's so challenging. We went. Going is a costly thing. I was reading this week about a lady called Amy Carmichael. She was an amazing kind of missionary lady. And uh, she grew up in Ireland, and as a young teenager, she first began to hear God's call to go to the nations. And she describes this occasion where she was um, going for tea with her mother. And they were in this kind of little restaurant, cafe in Ireland, and suddenly this little beggar dressed in beggar's clothes pressed her face up against the window of this posh restaurant as Amy had her scones and tea. And she said instantly she knew that God had called her to go. Just as a teenager, right there in that moment. And she made a promise to God, I will go one day to another nation if you will send me. And so ultimately, via Japan, she ended up in India. She suffered from quite a serious 
condition called neuralgia. She was very often very sick, often in bed for days, weeks at a time. I think some of us think, I I can't go because I've got this limitation. I've got this thing that restricts me. Let me say there is no limitation that God cannot provide for, whether it's financial, spiritual, emotional, physical. If he's called you to go, he will give you what you need to go. And Amy found that. She was chronically sick, and yet God sent her. And as she landed in India, she began to connect, again, some of the poorest of the poor. One day she came across a little girl called Prina, who had been sold by her family as a slave into the Hindu temples which many, many families did in those days because it was one of their only ways of surviving. And the temples literally were full of young girls who were serving as slaves. She came across this little girl, Prina, and eventually rescued her from this shrine and took her into her own family. And that was her pattern over the course of the next years of her life. All the money that she could scrape together, she would use to buy back children from their slave owners. And after a number of years, she'd literally rescued thousands of girls out of slavery. A teenage girl who heard the call to go, and God planted her to change a nation. Incredible. One of the missionaries that she particularly inspired was a man called Jim Elliott, who would go and be a missionary to the Ecuadorian Indians. And he once said this, he said, I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. And then his most famous quote, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the mission spirit right there. Why do people go? Because they've seen something of greater worth than comfort in this life. The upward call of God to go and do something which will make a difference. You can make a difference on your doorstep. Some of you are called to make a difference further afield. I wonder who's going to go from us in the next few years. Now, one of my dreams is that we will send literally scores of men and women from this church all over the world. If we truly are called to be an aircraft carrier church, we are not just going to get bigger. We're going to send more and more. We're going to be measured not just by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. If you've got a call to go, pray for that call. Talk to other people about that call. Say, Jesus, speak to me about that call. And don't let fear rob you of the call of God of going where he's called you to go. Because he will give you all that you need to fulfill what he's asked you to do. And you know, some of you in this room, you are already missionaries to this nation. (laughs) Some of you have come to this nation. You have been sent by God to this nation. I just want to thank you for coming. (laughs) Thank you for coming to help us. Thank you for coming to strengthen us. Thank you for coming to make us look a little bit more like heaven. Thank you. So you can go, either short-term or long-term. But also, if you're not called to go, you're definitely called to be a sender. What does it look like to be a sender? Well, two simple things. You can give and you can pray. Now, firstly, give. If I can't physically go to a nation like Mozambique, I certainly want to send my money. (laughs) If I'm not going to send myself, I want to send my resources. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I heard a a brilliant uh, preach recently by Chris Vallotton, and he really talks about his priorities in giving. 
And it's something that we're praying about at the moment, uh, Carol and I. And he says, basically, you've got a number of priorities in the way that you give your money. And he talked about his own finances. And he said, my first priority, he says, I want to give in to my local church family. He says, so I just give right off my income, 10%, right into my church family so that I support mothership because I want this to be as strong as possible. He said, that's, that's where I first put my money. He said, secondly, I put my money to create a legacy in my family because I want to leave an inheritance for my children, my children's children. So I take it seriously to leave an inheritance for them. So he says, we started a fund for our grandchildren before they were even born, so that when they were born, we could sow into them, because we're called to invest in our own family. But he said, thirdly and fourthly, we are all called to invest in the poor, and we're called to invest in other nations. And then he talked about his priorities and how he did that. And I was so provoked by that. So right now, we are thinking, how can I, we, we already sow into our local church, but how can we sow into our, into our kids and our grandkids? How can I sow into the poor, and how can I sow into other nations? What kind of legacy is my money going to say I've left? Because ultimately, where your money is, is where your heart is. And I want to be one of those people who sows generously, so that I can reap generously. I may not be able to send myself, but I can send my money. So we're going to give in a few moments' time. And you know, some of the things that we're giving into, we're part of a wider church family called Catalyst. And this next year, we're joining with numbers of other churches investing in the nation. So for example, we want to start a new church in Somalia. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love to start a new church in Somalia? Well, we can this year. We're going to plant a church in Dar es Salaam. I'm not even sure I know where that is. That's one of the things we're going to do this year. We're going to help train Chinese missionaries to go to other nations. We're going to help displaced people groups in the Balkans and the Ukraine. We're going to help uh, establish um, Iranian believers in Turkey. We're involved in the largest church in the whole of Turkey. We're friends with the largest church in the whole of Turkey. And part of what we do with our money is to help invest in that nation. Isn't that incredible? I may not be able to go to Turkey but I definitely want to send my money there. I definitely want to direct it towards something that's going to make a difference in that 1040 window that we looked at a little bit earlier. We're going to sow, and very simply, we can do that two ways. You can either decide, I want to regularly, month by month, give money into what happens in nations and serving other churches. Again, we call that our apostolic impact fund or something like that. Again, it's on your envelopes. If you want to give monthly, again, Carol and I, that's what we're going to start doing from today. We're going to start giving monthly into what happens outside of our own church family. But also this morning, we're going to do a one-off offering where we say, do you know what? Everything that we give this morning, we're going to pour into God's mission in the nations, in the churches that we're involved in. I am so excited about what is going to happen with our money as we give in a few moments. And then lastly, you can send your money, but you can also send your prayers. I loved what Simon said last week about, you know, all you can do is pray. Really? All you can do is pray? <laughs> to the most powerful, loving Father in the whole universe, all you can do is pray. In fact, that is the very best thing you could do. You could pray. And tell you, prayers change nations. And I'll finish with this story. A man called Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the uh, 19th century. And for six years, he was working into China. And at the time, there were really no known believers in China, which is why he went. 
And for six years, he saw hardly any, any fruit, no one saved. And he came back home for a season. He was walking along Brighton Beach. And he was saying, God, will you save souls in China? Save the Chinese. And he said, I suddenly had a revelation that the responsibility for saving souls was not mine, but God's. <laughs> That's not my burden to carry. That's his. Only he can save the Chinese. And so he started to direct his prayers in a different way. He said, God, send me workers to China. And he asked for 24 people to go back to China with him. God gave him 18, and 18 adults and four children. And they started to go back to China. And you know, even in his lifetime, as Hudson Taylor prayed for that nation, he didn't see revival. He didn't see widespread breaking out of the kingdom. But a hundred so years or later, Hudson Taylor is looking down on the fruit of his prayers, where now in a nation there are a hundred million believers in China. A hundred million in a nation when they're not really allowed to be Christians. It's estimated that every day 10,000 Chinese people come to faith in Christ. 10,000. So there is a full-blown work of God in that nation. I tell you what, Hudson Taylor is sitting in glory, looking down on the fruit of his prayers. I sowed into that, and I have a legacy that outlasted my prayers. And that's what happens when you pray, is you sow a seed that God then waters and turns into something. So pray. If you say you're going to pray for a nation, do it. Pray for it. Set an alarm. At, at a conference we went to maybe a year or so ago, there was a call to pray for Europe. They said, why don't everyone set your alarms for four o'clock in the afternoon that says pray for Europe? And then the next day at the conference, during someone's message at four o'clock, hundreds of alarms started to go off and people started to pray for Europe. And I tell you, what, if it's as simple as that, if you know, how can I remember to pray? Set an alarm. Say like pray for Europe. Pray for Africa. Pray for unreached people groups. Pray. It's the best thing that you can do. Send your prayers. So we're going to respond right now, and this is what we're going to do. You've got a couple of things near you, hopefully. You should have one of these cards. Whoops. And uh, there are just four little boxes on there. You can choose which ones you, to tick. You can tick all of them if you want to. But basically, this is for you saying, I'd love to hear more about short-term teams. I'd love to talk to someone about maybe a longer-term call to go. I'd love to get information so that I can pray more regularly or... Um, I would love to give regularly. I would love to actually give my money into what's happening overseas. So can I just ask you in a moment to ask Holy Spirit how he's asking you to respond. Remember, we can go, we can send, we've got a third choice as well. What's God saying to you this morning? How are you going to respond? And then we're going to give our money using these beautiful giving envelopes right here. And uh, on the back of these, you've got a little box to tick. It just simply says apostolic impact. If you just write the, the amount that you want to give in there, that will really, really help us. So why don't we just take a moment to pray, then we're going to sing, we're going to give hilariously, cheerfully. So I'm going to pray, and then let's ask Holy Spirit what he wants to do. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you so much for your call to go and make disciples in every single nation. God, I thank you for the nations that are represented in this room Lord, in this town, in the places where we live, thank you that each and every one of us is a missionary. And God, I just pray, would you come and speak to each of us right now? How, how can I be a goer? How can I be a sender? 
What does that look like for me in this moment, King Jesus? How can I give? How can I sow? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Well, I just prayed, begin to drop even specific places around the world in our hearts, places that we're called to pray for, places you're calling us to go. God, speak to us about what we're to give, how we're to give, whether regularly or whether one-off this morning, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Thank you that we get to partner in the Father's business this morning. We say bless the nations in the name of Jesus.